Hello, and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is brought to you by Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad One Zero. Hello, B2B leaders. This is Ledge back with another episode. And today I am so happy to have Vincent Serpico here. He's the CEO and founder of Founders Workshop. Vincent, why don't you give a little introduction of yourself and the business so everybody can get to know you? Absolutely. So my name is Vincent Serpico and happy to be here, Ledge. Thanks uh, thanks very, very much. Founders Workshop is a dev shop that caters exclusively to startup founders and small business owners. Uh, What we do is we build customized B2B and B2C software solutions for serial entrepreneurs, serial founders, and small business owners who are in the $1 to $5 million revenue range. Okay, great. And so you, it's interesting you said dev shop and the focus being startups, right? I think a lot of us have experienced any number of dev shops, you know, and it's I, I have been in this space and it's very difficult to differentiate. You know, uh, people have choices. They can go onshore, they can go offshore. I mean, they can do all kinds of things. So, you know, and that focus on startups, I, I heard you throw in there the serials. So, you know, that makes me think like second, third, fourth time founders, maybe they have some funding. I know one of the challenges in your space, because I've been there, is that uh, you you want to work with startup founders, but a lot of times they don't even have funding or, you know, they, they can't afford the build out of, of their idea. So talk to me around that, that approach and ecosystem. You've been doing this for quite a while. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm glad you brought that up, Ledge. Um, there are a lot, a lot of founders out there and there's a lot of... Um, conversation about um, dev shops being commodity. So first of all, I want to say that we are not for 99% of the founders out there. Okay. Uh, We are not for 99% of the founders out there. And it's not so much for those who are funded. It's those with a certain mindset. So we have an extremely honed process that we go through. We call it our 5D process. It starts out with a couple of weeks of deep scoping. Then Then it moves on to about uh, half a month to a month of what we call definition, which is preparing for development. Then we spend about two to three months of development. Then we do a deployment over about a month. And then we uh, provide our clients with a dedicated developer. It's a super honed process that is set up to set our clients up for success. Now, a lot of founders don't have that mindset. They have the mindset of, you know, move fast and break things. We've heard that in Silicon Valley over and over again. It's very romantic. It's very swashbuckling. The problem is it just doesn't work unless you've got a ton of money. And most of the founders that I work with only have a couple of hundred thousand dollars to work with. They don't have a couple of hundred million. And that move fast and break things is just a, um, 
because it's a service. So we have an extremely home process. And the reason why I say I work with serial entrepreneurs and uh, business owners in the one to five million range is that once you hit that, that, that serial entrepreneur, um, you hit that revenue range, you know what it took to get you there. You no longer have this uh, um, illusion that you're just going to jump in there, start coding and create the next uh, billion dollar application. So that's where we stand. And that's why we say we're not for 99% of the founders out there. Yeah. And which is, which is great because a 1% niche is still pretty, pretty large when you think about it, like startups in the one to 5 million range is a huge swath of business. But I, I completely resonate with the knowing who you're not. You know, knowing who you're not for, who we do not serve and the things that we do not do, which means you probably turn away a huge percentage of inbound leads and referrals in your business. And you had to become okay with doing that. What was that process like as you developed over the the course of years? Because you and I both know walking away from money is hard. Yeah. Um, You know, I'm really glad you brought that up. I'm really, really glad you brought that up because... Turning away a client, um, at first, it was both terrifying and liberating at the same time. Terrifying because you know that you can say yes and you can bring the revenue in. We've done it before. You know, I mean, it, we've been doing it for 12 years, so it took a while for us to get to where we are right now. Um, so it was terrifying at first. It was also liberating. It's liberating in that I know that when I say no to one client, I am saying yes to a future client coming in. And now what we're seeing is clients that we're getting are the ones with the right mindset who look at this and say, this is the way to do things. We just onboarded a, uh, a serial entrepreneur, somebody who actually has two IPOs under his belt. And when I showed him the process, I said to him, you know, most founders don't want to do this process. And he looked at me and goes, well, why wouldn't they? Well, he gets it. He's been through IPOs and, he, and he's extremely, extremely savvy. But what I would put out there is following a process really makes a hell of a lot of sense. So. I know I got a little off track when you asked me. No, I, I get it. And the process makes so much sense. So you've done another thing that, so I'm a, you know, I'm a sales guy. I help B2B firms build sales programs and revenue programs. And one of the first things that we tell people is we've got to work on your packages. We've got to work on your processes. And if it has a name, it's so much better. So the 4D process, like it's straight out of the book of, you know, any entrepreneur book that you read that says, you know, name your thing. What is your proprietary process? Uh, I'm almost wondering if you don't do traction or EOS because it sounds exactly like, you know, what's in there. But whatever operating system or interesting process you use for your business, I, I would imagine that's that's really valuable because you can dial in and say, this is this is what we do. This is what we call it. It's got a nice snappy name. Packaging is a huge thing for business. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, absolutely. So our, our 5D process uh, it is something that we've honed over the years. And just to touch base on what you said, I've read traction, I've read scaling up. We take bits and pieces and we put together our own um, our own internal process. Yeah, absolutely, which which is tremendous. And you know what I think now, I think you have a team of what, 20-something folks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, about 25. About 25 people. And, you know, so... I know that one of the keys there, and I'm interested to hear about this, like how do you get everybody on the same page uh, before we hit record, we were talking about onboarding new employees. So, you know, the key thing with having any system is agreeing on the system and having the same words that we all use internal to our culture, right? So that we can understand when I say this, this is, this is what I mean. It's like a glossary. It's a, again, an operating system, right? It's a set of 
uh, essentially commands, almost like a, a coder would use, reserved keywords for our, our business. And so how does that work for you? You know, growing up, 20 people is not, you can't spend time individually with all of them, you know, anymore. You've reached that, uh, what do they call it in, in dev world, uh, the more than two pizza team, you know, and uh, mm -hmm, yeah. multiple rooms, right? And it's, well, we're all in multiple rooms now. So, you know, I don't know, talk about that team growth and management thing, because I, I think that's a huge leap once you leave that, you know, kind of one conference room table uh, type of staffing paradigm. Yeah, so just a couple of things I want to touch on there real quick. First of all, um, we're at 25 people, which means that we're still not anywhere close to being uh, being large. You know, we're not even anywhere close to being a mid-sized company. We still have, you know, only 25 people. So it, it, listening to what the, uh, the ground shoots are saying is extremely important. We have a VP of Ops. And what she does is she has a monthly meeting for about an hour with everybody in the company one-on-one. -on -one. And that meeting, there's no agenda. It's just, what are you up to? How's your family? How are you? How are you feeling? What concerns do you have? What are you looking forward to? What are you reading? Just get to know them. And um, this becomes incredibly, incredibly valuable. So yeah, she spends, you know, um, if you look at 25 people, 25 hours a month doing it, it's hugely, hugely valuable, very valuable. Now. Can we do this if we had 500 people? Well, no, not with one person, but here's where we are right now. And this is what's working really well as we continue onboarding um, folks. Now, yes, another question about how do you keep everybody on the same page? Well, that's obviously it's a difficult task, especially when you have an incredibly uh, remote team. So that's still a learning in progress. One thing that we do is um, during meetings, we like to start the meeting with a recital of our vision, okay? And the, um, or when we kick off a project, we like to start it with a recital of our vision. And our vision is we will build a company such that any founder or entrepreneur can be guided through a repeatable process that then creates a customized B2B or B2C software solution that's implemented in a repeatable process. That is our vision. So that means that everything in the company from HR and recruiting to onboarding new employees, offboarding, onboarding clients, accounting, payroll, everything has to revolve around that vision. And we have a long-term plan on how to implement that. And we implement it one month at a time, one objective at a time. So it's a very long-term plan, uh, probably about three years to get there. But um, having that end goal and having that process of getting there uh, is very, very energetic for everyone in the company. Absolutely. As you look back, um, what things have gone superbly well? Like what plans did you make that were like, you know, amazing? And then what plans did you make that were kind of maybe some examples of things that weren't right and that you had to adjust over time or speed bumps you hit? Because I think as entrepreneurs, or at least in the mythology of entrepreneurship, we are often fed the really good stories that turned out successfully when 99.9% .9 of, you know, the decisions probably were bad and just, you don't hear about them. And, you know, I'm curious, I always like to ask founders, you know, what would you do well and would you not do well? Yeah, that's a great question. This can be a little bit of a long answer. So uh, I've been involved in the, uh, in the Phoenix dev uh, tech community for almost 25 years now. I started out as a uh, programmer, as a developer and, you know, climb the ranks, um, VP of debt, CTO, until I started this company 12 years ago. Um, I had the reputation of somebody who was hard hitting, somebody who was very forceful, somebody who uh, essentially just did anything I possibly can in order to get the job done. And um, 
that worked really, really well for uh, being a VP of dev for the type of companies I was VP of dev. It worked really well for being a CTO. And that's how I actually started my uh, company. And that's how I, uh, um, have, that's how I uh, uh, acquired new, uh, um, new clients through that reputation. And that reputation helped build the company. But when we got to a certain point, we realized that we couldn't take it any further. It got us to where we needed to be, but it wasn't the right mindset to get us any to get us further. And when we crossed, when we you know we first crossed the million dollar range, we realized that that old mindset of just get it done no matter what was no longer serving us. It was actually disserving us. We pissed some clients off. We had to refund money to some clients, and we hurt our reputation. And, and that was the point we said to ourselves, all right, we're obviously not doing something right. What got us here is not going to get us any further. So we did a lot of examination. I mean, it took a long time to examine what was going right and what was going wrong. And in the end, it was the process-driven approach is what was right. And the just get it done at any cost was going wrong. How, what was the discovery process to figure this out? Do you think it was uh, the nature of of a scaling to a certain point and that you couldn't do it at that point? Like what, what caused the switch over uh, and, and kudos to you and your team for being able to kind of look at things and tear it down and say what was right and what was wrong. Uh, but I'm curious, like, what do you think it was like what marker in time or what growth point made that salient? Because, you know, you can always get this idea that you need to pivot. Right. But like, why, like, what was it right there? Yeah, that's a great question. Like, First, there was a first. There's a realization that something's not right, right? There's a realization that okay, I could be doing things better. What am I doing wrong? And it certainly wasn't an epiphany. It certainly wasn't a let's have one meeting. This is what we decided, and now we're we're marching towards it. It was a series of dozens, dozens of meetings over probably a year and a half to figure out. All right, this one little thing is working really, really well. Let's hang on to it. This is not working, but how do we get rid of it? without completely dumping revenue. All right, we come to these tiny little um, solutions. Now let's have another solution, another solution. It's these tiny little, these tiny little realizations over a period of a year, year and a half, and many, many meetings and self-reflection to realize all the things that we were doing wrong, all the things we were doing right, and then creating a process around everything we're doing right and eliminating what we're doing wrong. This doesn't happen overnight. This is a long-term commitment. And then you, how often do you do the review? Because uh, it's often, you know, like what you can institutionalize these little pieces of process and then realize that as you grow, they're also not appropriate, you know, so that the pieces that you were relying upon and you have to go back and review and say, you know, that was a good solution at 1 million. It's not a good solution at 3 million or 5 million of revenue. How often do you do that review cycle? Is it uh, quarterly or constant yeah. or a big annual retreat? How do you think about that? So we have um, a daily huddle with the management team. Daily huddles about 30 minutes long. And um, we talk about everything that we did during the day, keeping in mind um, what our, what our three-year vision is, what our goal is, um, and what we're doing during the day. Then we also have a longer meeting once a week, which is about an hour with the management team, where we review what our annual goals are, what our quarterly goals are, and how we're marching towards our quarterly goals. Every quarter, we also have a, a meeting in order to review what we did for the quarter, what we're gonna do next quarter, and then there's an annual meeting. It's a lot about, it, it's, it's a lot of discussing of what we're doing, where we're going, and how things are working. 
because there is no blueprint, there is no plan. Yeah, scaling up helps and yeah, traction helps, but every company is unique and you, and you got to figure out what's working for you. And you're not going to figure it out in one meeting or two meetings. It's going to take a really long time. You got to have that mindset of a long-term commitment. You really do. A long-term, a long-term vision, a long-term goal is great, but what are the paths to get there? And do you have the discipline to go ahead and execute that path? I was thinking about you're a dev shop, right? You obviously are are steeped in whether or not you exactly follow it, some kind of scrum or agile or waterfall technique. And I wonder how you think about that relative to developing uh, the company. You know, the companies, I, I look at the systems that we run by and, you know, I think that we can, in a sense, be flexible. We could be agile, uh, yet we still have, you know, I don't know, maybe quarter long sprints, if you will, you know, from the company uh, standpoint, you got your daily stand up there, which sounds, you know, scrum-ish. So I'm curious how you think about like those types of management techniques as it relates to product development and, and company development. Do you, do you see parallels there? I do. I do see parallels there. I see parallels in scrum, but I also understand that it's, that it's a template and I understand that you're not going to follow things exactly the way it is. Look, you might have, um, you might have an engagement where you do a demo with a client every two weeks. It's a type of client that wants to do a demo every two weeks. But then what if the client has an immediate question? Well, then you need to, you need to add that into the process about immediate questions. What if you have an immediate question for the client? What if the client wants to meet daily for 10 minutes? So you can have different clients that have different needs, just like you can have different employees that have different needs. So you got your, your template of a process. And by having that template of a process, you've set a framework and within that framework, you're allowed to be allowed to uh, um, fiddle a little bit here and there with the dials and levers, depending on who the client is, what the engagement is, who the employee is, and what that personality of the employee is. But you're not just winging it for every person in every engagement. You do have a template and a framework to start with, and that's hugely helpful. And you let yourself and your team then make, I guess, good decisions around, hey, where, where and how are we essentially like allowed to deviate because you don't want to get way off the track. There are guardrails from your framework, but you must have some kind of sense, I guess, baked into your, your culture of, of allowable deviation to, to get the job done, but not at all costs, which you, I guess is that balance thing that you just kind of have to build in. Uh, with Yeah, trust, that's exactly really. right. I'll, I'll go back to our, our 5D process. If, 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 a, if a client does not want to go through that 5D process, we might offer them, hey, you can have a dedicated developer at your pleasure. Um, but if you don't want to go that 5D process, we don't want to work with you. Uh, we're not a right fit for you, and we'll do you a disservice because this is what we, this is our process in order to guarantee success. Now, if they come to us and say, well, in the first stage of the process or the second stage of the process, you do this, this, and that, I've already done that. Well, what we'll say is, all right, bring in what you already done. And let's take a look at how we can incorporate that into the process. Since you've already done the legwork, let's see where we can go ahead and leverage what you've already done into our process. You, you, you see what I'm saying there? Absolutely. And I, I would imagine looking at your process that you probably get all kinds of people that are telling you, oh, we don't need to do that beginning part. We already have our plan together. We already have our UX and our pictures and ideas. And you probably have a lot of just yeah, I know you have that already, but essentially it's really important that we go through this even in modified fashion. I would expect that you get a lot of pushback about that. Nobody wants to pay for discovery or setup. And yet, you know, as the, the person that runs this process, that it's really important. Like it's, it's probably the most important part 
you don't just run right to code and start checking things. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly right, Ledge. That, 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 that is exactly right. And, you know, we, we have discovered it over the years because without doing the process, like I said, it became a hit or miss. We, we lost some clients. We had to do some refunds um, and we had our reputation hurt. And um, I'm okay saying that to everybody because it's a learning process. Um, more than that, I've seen folks come to us on numerous, numerous, numerous occasions when they go to dev shops that don't have that process that have made them huge promises on low price and delivery and everything. And they wind up failing miserably. And then they come to us. We're actually doing a rescue project right now because a client was promised um, the moon and the stars and they didn't get anything close to it. So we're unfortunately having to do a rescue project right now. Um, the process works. And if, if, if I can, if you'll indulge me a second, my, my goal here with this entire business is not, is not revenue. I, I'm, I'm not looking for massive amounts of revenue. Um, I'm comfortable. I have what I want. Uh, Finance-wise, everything is good. What I'm looking for here is to build something of high quality. I want to build something where our clients are hugely satisfied and our employees feel fully rewarded. If I build all of that, I will achieve my goal. And that's what I'm looking to build. And not paradoxically, once you do those things, it turns out that revenue comes along, you know, for the ride because you can actually with high integrity sell the thing that you're doing and not have to worry about giving it back and and failing and, you know, all that stuff. Uh, and yet you are under, I have to ask, because you're probably under all kinds of pressure for, for costing because you're right. Anybody can just go and claim that they can hire a $5 an hour developer. Now you and I know that, you know, there are all kinds of challenges with doing that on certain platforms. Uh, but it's, it's a siren song. And, um, you know, unfortunately that's, that's the way it is. And it is a commoditizing space to some extent. Uh, have you, have you leveraged, uh, onshore, offshore? Have you had, like, how do you handle the, so, the staffing um, there? We've tried working, um, offshore, uh, a few times over the last 12 years, we find that offshore doesn't work. And the reason why offshore doesn't work is for two reasons. And this is just for us. Look, if offshore works for you, Ledge, if it works for any of the listeners, um, I'm really thrilled. But we find it doesn't work for two reasons. Number one, time zone. We prefer working within our time zone because we're a very high touch agency, uh, very relationship-based agency, which means that we do speak with our clients all day long. And that means we also speak with our developers all day long. If a client calls us up at 11 o'clock and needs an answer, I can't say, well, you know, um, when India gets online at 10 o'clock tonight, I'll have an answer for you by your tomorrow morning. That doesn't work. That's just, it's just, it, it, it doesn't work. Um, so we find that working within the Western hemisphere increases productivity tremendously. Second of all, the culture in the Western hemisphere is much more aligned than, uh, than an offshore culture in the um, in the uh, in the east so we find that between culture and time zone that uh, offshore uh, doesn't work and nearshoring works tremendously tremendously well yeah absolutely and i, I think nearshoring is a fantastic solution i would encourage everybody to look into um and you know i found that the in my experience in the in the space the the rates have started to, to even climb there. So this is not a, a well-kept secret like it used to be, uh, you know, that you, you still have um, the cost structure. So people think that you can do this, you know, kind of crazy stuff with $10 an hour. Uh, that's not realistic, you know, kind of anymore, nor should you do that because one 
place or another, you're cutting corners. You know, there there is in fact uh, an equation of overhead and business that makes for quality. And I'm sure you have to have that discussion, you know, kind of all the time. What's your sales process like to filter out the 99% of your leads that are probably not the right fit? So um, actually, I want to say, I want to um, touch base on something you said, and then I want to answer about the sales process. You might find a $5 an hour, $15 an hour, $20 an hour developer. But, you know, the thing is, is that who's cheaper, a $20 an hour developer or a $75 an hour developer? Well, the answer is who can get the job done with the most efficiency, the quickest is who's going to be the cheapest, right? So what I like to say is that when you're looking for, um, for developers, understand that um, hourly price is not really um, an indicator nearly as much as overall quality because the cheaper developer could be cheaper by the hour, but much more expensive by the project, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, and you don't hear people say, you know, I'm going to look for the discount dentist or, you know, <laughs> I mean, the, you know, $2 an hour uh, guy to replace my kidney. You know, you get one chance to spend that money when you have that funding as an entrepreneur, one chance, you know, you don't get to re-spend that. So when you talk about rescue projects, I, I, I want all the listeners that maybe haven't done this before to remember when you flush that money, it's gone, make good choices, you know, and have those conversations with your vendor, because it, you're absolutely right. That value comes from the ability. If my hundred dollar an hour guy can do 10 times as much work in the hour, then it's, a hell of a lot better value than paying ten dollars an hour. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Developers are not commodities. You know, don't look at developers as commodities. Just like sales folks are not commodities. Don't look at sales folks as commodities. You know, they, they, these these are very people centric businesses. They're not commodities. It's not like buying milk at the store where all milk is the same. It's just a brand. No, developers are not commodities. Salespeople are not commodities. Doctors are not commodities. Right. You bring up a good point that happens to us all the time. Well, I could hire an internal SDR. I don't need to hire you guys. <laughs> good luck with that. Yeah. You know, like you, you get the same type of, you know, it's like, hey, okay, you know, like years of experience kind of make a difference when you're closing million dollar contracts. So, yeah, I mean, I, I totally relate. It's exactly the same conversation. Being in sales is very similar to having been, you know, in the dev space. So, again, back to the sales process there. How do you... How do you handle that? Because funnel management in a business where you are heavily niched is really important. You've got to be able to figure out and work through a process where you take care of every lead. You can't be rude to anybody. You can't just not answer them. But you do have to get down to the point where at the bottom of the funnel, there's the 1% that you want to have those conversations with. And I imagine as CEO, you get pulled into some of the, you know, the bigger executive close type of of situations, but you can't do all the work. And this happens a lot yeah. for founders, especially in a service business. So what's your process look like? So um, I'll just, I want to describe what we plan on doing for 2021. And I also want to say that um, there is so much more I don't know than I do know. It's so much more I'm going to learn than I already um, know. And sales is certainly one of them. So currently, um, let's start with marketing first. We decided that 2021, um, we're we have stopped all cold lead uh, marketing, all uh, um, all outreach, and we're going to be focusing 100% on relationship-based marketing. And uh, two reasons for that. First of all, I have an extremely um, good, tight, solid network here in Phoenix, Arizona, and I want to focus on my um, on my current relationships. 
uh, very solid people in my um, in my network, some really, really good people, smart people. Um, second of all, relationship-based marketing is not just about me. It's about what our project managers create relationships with our clients. If they can create really strong, good relationship with our clients and make our clients extremely happy, then our clients are going to start referring back to us. And we already have clients that refer back to us, but let's focus on relationships in that we focus on making our clients as happy as possible, as satisfied as possible, so they can refer out. And that goes back to the whole 5D process, only bringing on folks you know are going to be successful. So in our current process, what we do is um, we, we do explain the 5D process right off the bat when we speak to a prospect. Um, something else we just started doing, and you might give me a little, uh, um, little uh, uh, advice on this ledge, is that we start out immediately with price. Um, a client um, told me recently, he goes, you know, there's two things I look for when hiring a dev shop, and he's a friend also. He goes, can they get the job done? And what's it going to cost? Well, if it wasn't going to cost the 800-pound gorilla in the room, let's just get it right out of the way. So as soon as we start the meetings these days, what we say is, okay, uh, here's our process. And before I go through it, I just want to let you know that the average price is 80000 okay? So that's what an average client will spend. Some clients might spend forty or 50000 Some clients have spent one hundred and fifty to 200000 But just understand that you probably will spend about 80000 Those are the odds. Okay. Now... Here's our process, and here how's we going through it. And this is and this is the only thing that we'll do. We'll go through this process. We won't do it any other way. If you already have some of this materials, we'll talk about how we can modify it. But we have to go through this process. We can't just start developing. And then from there, you know the ones are not interested. Okay, well I'll get back to you. You know things like that. Right, right. right. Well, you can see the you know could smell right away. Like oh okay yeah, a bit off more than I could chew. Right there. Now I'm in your. In your space, I think you're doing it absolutely right. Yeah, because that's that's the number one filter uh, based on you know that sort of budget, and you really set yourself up as a hey we we play with the serious entrepreneurs. So I, I completely agree with your pricing up front and the whole that we won't back away from our process because it shows that you have the confidence and the wherewithal and the experience to turn away clients. So if I was a serious person, like that's a thing I would look for you to say in order to know that you've been in the game before. Uh, I love your account-based marketing or relationship-based marketing. I think that that's the right uh, thing to do. And, um, you know, the question would then be, you know, it, do you think about it from a regional standpoint because of your local network or do you think about how to, to grow that? So, yeah, those are those are neat conversations. But uh, yeah, for for the audience listening, you should check out. Uh, I, I'm just going to pitch you now because you should check out uh, foundersworkshop.com because they do have a really nice uh, way of, of showing that, you know, here's the, the pricing uh, model. And, and I, I dig a lot of things that they do on, on the website. So uh, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think your friend who said put the price out there right away is is correct. Is that terrifying or was it initially terrifying? Um, no, I, I don't think that was initially terrifying. It, it was a little uncomfortable at first because it's not what I'm used to, put the price um, right out there up front. I, it, it, I, I guess the hardest part about it is I felt I was leading with the, um, I felt I was leading with price versus leading with relationship. And I prefer to lead with a relationship, but my friend is right. Look, if somebody is just not going to be if somebody doesn't have the means or the willingness to spend on an average eighty thousand dollars, shouldn't they just know upfront, right? 
So, and if they decide to continue on with the conversation for whatever reason, great, but they should know up front. So that, that's what I do. You, you said you like the idea, Ledge? I do like it. It filters out right away because your time is is limited. So you should filter out people that just simply can't afford it. I would look at it as uh, how do I have a great conversation and be helpful with the people who can't afford that? So maybe there's an opportunity there to have a referral network for you know where to send those people. So I'm not a fan of turn everyone away at the door who can't you know afford it right away. But I am a fan of we won't do business with those folks. However, here are the other things that we can do and the the friends we can hook them up with and and that kind of stuff. So I think you want to have the reputation where you take care of all your leads um, in a really respectful way. You have an off ramp for them, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be transacting business with them. So I I, I like that a lot, Ledge. And um, what I try to do is. For those who are not a, a mutually good fit, number one, I'll give them as much advice as possible on what they can do on their own in order to minimize uh, um, the risk of failure and maximize the risk of success. I mean, the uh, possibility of success. Number two is um, I've uh, recently come in uh, contact with a great no-code dev shop in Mexico that uh, will essentially create a no-code MVP for 2,500 to 10,000. Not our market, not the... Um, not what we uh, we want, but he does a really, really good job uh, creating these quick down and dirty MVPs for those who just need to get up and running as fast as possible. And uh, I would be happy to recommend folks to him. Great, great. Well, we're going to run out of time here. Vincent, I uh, I love this. Uh, tell me, give me a so one minute version of, you know, sir, we talked about here how we're going to develop marketing sales this year. What else do you see coming down the pike? What's in the vision? And then let people know how to, you know, reach out and, and get in touch with the company and you. Yeah, sure. So in order to get to that vision that we um, that we talked about of creating that company that any entrepreneur or founder can be guided through a repeatable process in order to create a customized B2B or B2C software solution, we've got to change some fundamental things inside the company. Like I said, HR needs to change, onboarding, offboarding, accounting, um, fulfillment. Lots of things need to um, need to come into a line. A lot of them are already there. But there's still a lot to think about. And that's what 2021 is all about to us, is getting all of our systems and processes in place in order to support our systems and processes. Um, and it's all about relationship marketing for us, um, at least for 2021. We're very, very focused on our relationships and the people that we can that we can help out uh, here in Phoenix, Arizona. Get in touch with us, foundersworkshop.com. Be happy to talk to anybody about your development, uh, about your development needs. If I can help you, great. If I can't, I'll point in the right direction. That's awesome. Well, great, great domain name. So like that alone tells me you've been in the game for a while. So I, I totally appreciate a good domain name. And uh, Vince, it's been a great conversation. Thanks for uh, joining us on Leaders of B2B. Thank you, Lex. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.